Well, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you on our online uh, campus. Thanks for joining us through that venue. And those of you in our parent viewing area, that's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, we are in week three of a series called Empty and Filled. And uh, this series is all about us together as a faith community uh, walking through a Lenten journey together. And we kind of uh, started this a few weeks ago, and the idea of this, uh, the word Lent literally comes from an ancient word that uh, means lengthening. Uh, it's lengthening of days, or literally translated to springtime. It's, the, it's a spring cleaning for the soul. And that's kind of how we uh, really describe this as we were starting out, that this is going to be a, a spring cleaning for the soul. In week one, we introduced this idea that this is a time uh, during this season where I know some of you, maybe you grew up in a more liturgical background and you practice Lent, but you weren't always sure what it meant. It was kind of check the box and, you know, don't eat fish on Friday or, or eat fish on Fridays. Uh, for others of you, it was uh, something that you didn't practice. It wasn't a part of uh, a, um, a religious background that you grew up with, or uh, maybe you didn't have any religious background at all, and so it, it just wasn't something that you practiced. And so we said this, this is really a time where we recognize our own sin and our own mortality, where we lament that, we, we mourn that and confess we seek uh, forgiveness for that. And then uh, it's a time where we empty ourselves of something. That's the part of Lent where you give something up. And so we empty ourselves. Then we ask God to fill us with his spirit. And we look with anticipation toward Easter. So that's what this whole season has been all about. And Easter grounds us to the reality that we are a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We are a part of something so much bigger that our lives are meant to reflect the sacrificial love of Jesus who gave himself for us, who overcame death so that we can experience eternal life. And so we've got, uh, I want to make you aware of this, Easter coming up this, uh, in just a few weeks here. And I want to encourage you to invite somebody to that. That's one of the best ways to look forward to Easter with anticipation is to invite someone to one of our services. And on Easter weekend, we're going to be doing five uh, Easter weekend services. So we've got a couple on Saturday, 4.30 and 6 o'clock on Saturday, and then 8.30, 10, and 11.30 on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning. So invite someone to join you as we anticipate that. And as we move towards that celebration, we enter into certain practices that sort of open our eyes to become more aware of God's work in our lives. And so that's, that's really how we started this. And then last week was awesome because uh, uh, Eli was able to speak on prayer and talk about this practice of prayer as we draw closer to God. And while Eli was speaking on that, we were actually watching. Uh, my family and I were on vacation. I have to tell you a little story, uh, which, by the way, this has nothing to do with anything today, but it's just a story that I feel compelled to tell. We were uh, boogie boarding in the ocean, and uh, I got stung by a stingray on my big toe, which I have to tell you is a pretty big target because I have a really fat big toe. And I did not realize how bad that would hurt. And uh, let me tell you, it hurts bad. Me and Steve Irwin, we both got stung by stingrays. Me and the crocodile hunter, I survived. That should tell you something. And... Uh, we were out there boogie boarding and something hit and I went, oh, guys, I got something, something bit me. And my kids were out there with me and it was, so we were all kind of freaking out. And I kept boogie boarding because I was like, ah, oh, it's not, uh, you know, shake it off. But I couldn't. I was like, man, this hurts so bad. So I pulled up my toe out of the water and it's just gushing blood. 
And then I had this thought of like, you know, I don't even know how true this is, but I'm like, sharks can smell blood like 50 miles away or something, right? So I'm like, get out of the ocean right now. So I'm like running towards the shore and uh, my foot is just gushing blood. And I was like, man, this hurts so bad. And so we, we got out and we went back to where we were staying and I'm soaking it in hot water and my toe is just swelled up. And uh, my foot is just waves of pain through my foot. And I'm like, this is terrible. And I'm researching, and apparently I got stung by a stingray on the toe. Now, I learned afterwards, uh, the locals tell us, you're, yeah, you, you're, of course, there's stingrays everywhere out here. You're supposed to do the stingray shuffle. I'm like, what? Uh, no one told me that. And apparently you're supposed to shuffle your feet in the sand because that scares them away. But if you accidentally step on one, they react. So on top of that, on top of like the, the sting itself, I got shuffle shamed in the process. I was feeling doubly bad. And then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? That's actually on me because that poor stingray was just minding its own business, right? Just probably sleeping in his covers. And I thought to myself, I was really invading him. Like if I was home, cozy in my bed, all covered up, and then somebody stepped on me, I'd probably sting him too, you know? So, uh, all in all, though, man, we had an awesome uh, vacation, and uh, Eli did an amazing job just sharing with us prayer. And this is what brings us closer to God. This is one of those things that allows us to sync our hearts up with God. Now, uh, what matters in this series, way more than what you hear in this talk or what you hear in last week's talk or what you hear sort of in each talk sort of weekend to weekend, is what you do in between. And that's why we took the first week and we said, here's a, a Lenten devotional guide. We want you to spend some time reading some things and processing some things. And uh, we give up something and we ask God to fill us and we look with anticipation and we, we confess uh, our sins and ask God to forgive us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, uh, the, a practice that we can do in the midst of not just coming to Sundays or watching online, but actually Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, these things that we can do that help us become better followers of Jesus, that help us more closely follow Jesus and grow in love. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This practice that we're going to talk about today is uh, renewing our minds with the scriptures. And not just renewing our minds, actually learning how to take the scriptures and apply them to our lives. And so God actually wants to begin to change the automatic flow of our thoughts our desires, our emotions, our reactions, our perceptions that are always running through our minds. And it's a strange thing how we treat our minds. If somebody has a high-performance car, they almost never fuel it with low-octane fuel, right? They give it the premium stuff, the good stuff. I read a story recently uh, about a guy who was a bodybuilder, and he would literally monitor every single bite of food that went into his body. And he just made sure that it was uh, just optimal. And he would actually uh, wake himself up in the middle of the night to ingest the right amount of protein at a time when his body would most absorb it. And what he didn't know is that when his wife was mad at him, she would actually fix his lunch and secretly replace his low-fat spread on his sandwiches with very high-fat butter and mayonnaise. Just to mess with him. Uh, did you know there are literally 50 different, 50 different key ingredients that you're supposed to give your cat for your cat's optimal health? I didn't know that. Uh, did you know that uh, you can give all kinds of uh, brain food that you can buy for aging dogs? In fact, in the United States alone, think about this, in the United States alone, we will spend $23 billion on pet food this year. That's crazy. 
Uh, we have air purification systems that we put into our homes and filters that clean the air in our cars and we drink filtered water out of bottles because, you know, we want to make sure we're putting the good stuff in our bodies. And here's what's amazing. We can be unbelievably careful about what we put in our bodies, unbelievably careful about what we put into our cars, unbelievably careful about what we give our pets, you know, but we can be incredibly careless about what we feed our one and only mind. We're careless about it. Whatever kind of junk might be floating around us on social media, whatever sort of absurd clickbait happens to catch our attention, whatever crazy headline and uh, uh, TV or movies or magazines or conversations that are full of gossip or criticism or all of these things that we just sort of end up feeding our minds. And yet, if we're honest, to a very large extent, the kind of mind that I cultivate, the kind of things that I feed my mind, to a very large extent, they, they determine the kind of person that I become. And on top of that, you and nobody but you is in charge of what you feed your mind. You're the only one who's in charge of that. Nobody else can take responsibility for the things that you feed your mind. There's a, an Austrian survivor of the Holocaust named Viktor Frankl who wrote, uh, he became a psychiatrist and uh, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, one of the things he discusses is that the ultimate freedom is in the human mind. It's not in the body, it's actually in the mind because your ability to think, your ability to choose your attitude, to, to set your mind wherever you want to in any given set of circumstances is what actually brings ultimate human freedom. In fact, uh, there was a movie released in 1999 with uh, Denzel Washington, uh, and it was kind of this, uh, based on a true story called The Hurricane. And uh, it was based on the life of a professional boxer named Reuben Carter, who was wrongfully accused of murder and sentenced to life in prison. And while he's in prison, Reuben Carter decides, I'm never going to leave my cell. Because if I stay in my prison cell and never leave my cell, then I'm actually not in prison at all. It's my choice. And so he chooses to stay in his cell in order to experience, in his mind, freedom. In his mind, I'm not in a prison at all because I've made this choice to stay here. The mind is an incredibly powerful thing. In fact, what you feed your mind determines who you become. What you feed your mind determines who you become. So what or who are you going to pattern your life after? What is it that you're feeding your mind? Who or what are you going to allow to influence the way that you think, the way that you see the world, your perspective? Every single one of us, every single day, makes decisions about how to live, how we're going to live our life, how we're going to interact with others, how we're going to handle our finances, how we're going to do parenting, how we're going to do relationships, what kind of an employee we're going to be. We make hundreds and hundreds of decisions every single day, and we genuinely believe that's the right way to live. We make a decision based on, I think this is the right way to live. So what or who is informing that for you? And during Lent, we pause and we ask the question and we seek to find answers in the way of Jesus. And for some of us, that might require us to look at things differently than we've looked at things before to see things differently than we've seen them before. The idea of Lent is that we pause and we empty ourselves of some things in order to say, God, fill me and help me to see things the way that you see things. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote these words to people in Rome. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Every time I, I hear this verse, I'm immediately brought back to kindergarten when I, uh, my favorite toy was Transformers. I mean, these things could just change into anything, right? And you, you had, uh, you, you had a, um, 
spaceship or a jet and all of a sudden it would turn into a robot and it would transform. It would, it would start out as one thing and then it would transform into something else. When I was a kid, uh, there was a, uh, I'm dating myself here, but a cassette tape. And you're like, what is a cassette tape? Um, it's weird. It's like this ribbon and you run it through it. Yeah, you can Google it. Uh, and I had a cassette tape called Bullfrogs and Butterflies. And it was all about how a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. And I used to listen to that when I was a kid. Transformation means it starts as one thing and it changes into something else. And here's the Apostle Paul, this guy who's a follower of Jesus. He's writing letters to people in the Roman Empire about the way of Jesus. And he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let God, let God, you started as one thing. Let God transform you. Let God shape you into something new. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Paul says, this is how this happens. If, you're, if you started as one thing and God says, no, I want to make you into something new, the way that that happens is by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In other words, you can just pick up your feet and allow the current of culture to sweep you away to wherever culture is going. You can sort of just uh, go with the flow and kind of live your life however you want to live your life. But there's consequences to all of our decisions. You can copy the customs and behaviors and the thinking of this world. And if you do that, you're going to look and speak and think and act and behave just like everybody else. And you will be an exact copycat of everybody else and your life will be an exact replica of everybody else. And so this is where we have to stop as followers of Jesus and say, man, I, I got to ask this question. When it comes to marriage, do I want my marriage to look like everybody else in culture? When it comes to how I do parenting, do I want our family structure to simply reflect everybody else in culture? When it comes to how I handle my finances, do I want it to look like everybody else in culture? When it comes to uh, how I forgive others, do I want to live the way that culture tells me to live and just go along with the flow? When it comes to how I measure happiness, do I want to measure it just like everybody else in culture? And, and if the answer is no, I don't want it to just look like everybody else, Paul actually says, if you want to live life following God's way, it may actually require you to change the way that you think about some things. Because then you're allowing God to transform you. And when you change the way that you think, it actually transforms who you become. It allows God to do his work in you. And one of the best ways to continually change and realign and sort of uh, align and get your mind in sync is to read and apply the scriptures to your life to continually renew your mind with the scriptures. If you want to live a life as a follower of Jesus, it's critical that you spend time not only reading the scriptures, but actually applying them to your life. See, we never want to be a church that's just all about information, that just gives you a bunch of information. We want to be a church that's about application. This is what you do with what this says. In fact, the Apostle Paul uh, is, again, writing a letter. He's writing this one to a young man named Timothy. Paul had started a church in a city called Ephesus, and then Timothy becomes the pastor of this church, and now Paul is writing back to him and giving him some instructions, and here's what he says. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 
Paul says there's reason to study the scriptures, to read the scriptures. And it's not to give ourselves a big old pat on the back because we know the Bible and we've got it memorized or simply knowing some Bible verses. It's because understanding what God is speaking to us actually equips us to become more like Jesus. The goal is to become more like Jesus, to forgive more quickly, to love more freely, to become more generous with what God's entrusted to us. To, to follow the way of Jesus. And no person can have a, a great life without their mind being filled with joy, peace, uh, surrendered mind. And you can't have that unless you feed it great thoughts. And there's no greater source than to read the scriptures. If you're worried, if you're discouraged, if you are tempted, if you are confused, uh, curious about God, if you're feeling alone, if you need wisdom or want to feed your mind something better than all the junk around us, what should you do? I would suggest that you read the Bible, that you read these scriptures. Paul says they are inspired. In other words, uh, the literal translation that Paul uses means they are God-breathed, that the words of the scriptures are God-breathed, that God has breathed into these writings so that we can know him better, and in knowing him better, that we would follow him more closely. And reading the Bible generates life and creates faith. Uh, it, it provides guidance. It gives strength when you're weak. It gives hope when you're discouraged, right? It's the first book to read to a little child. It's the last book to read to a dying person. It's simultaneously so simple and yet so profound that the ancient fathers and mothers used to say this about it, that a gnat could swim in it and an elephant could drown in it. It is simple but profound. It reminds the lonely that they're not alone, that they're a part of something so much bigger. They have love for this life and heaven in the next. On your deathbed, there will be no other book that will speak to you the way that this one will. In it, we discover not so much how the earth is made, but by who and what for. And in this book, we discover our identity. We discover whose family we belong to. We discover uh, our enemy and the awful calamity of our sin. And we also discover God's forgiveness and God's grace and our new life as a child of God and our eternal destiny as citizens of heaven. All of that is in these writings, these God-breathed, inspired scriptures. And if that were not enough, in this book, in the scriptures, we meet Jesus. We meet Jesus, who alone mastered life and conquered death, the story of his actions, the brilliance of his teachings, uh, the eyewitness accounts of his death and resurrection are simply found nowhere else but in this book. It's truly amazing. And yet, a survey by an American research group found that uh, while 94% of Americans own a Bible, less than 30% of them ever read it even on a weekly basis. Biblical literacy is at an all-time low. In fact, in one survey, 30% of people who re responded believed that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Joan of Arc, Noah's Ark, they're like, yeah, they're probably married. And the truth is, they lived thousands of years apart from each other, right? I want to give you a very simple framework for reading the scriptures. Now, this is something that we have talked about in the past. It's something we've practiced before, but it's something that I go back to over and over and over again because it's such a simple tool. And again, my intent here is not to blow you away with brand new information, but to get us as a church community, as a faith community, to continue to put into practice the things that we're learning. 
And I'll keep coming back to this again and again because it's a tool that I use and it's something that I think equips us to read the scriptures so that we can become more like Jesus. For some of you, this will be familiar and it'll be a great reminder. For others of you, uh, maybe this will actually inspire you and equip you to dive into the scriptures for yourself for the first time. It's uh, an acronym. It's right on your outline called SOAP. SOAP. And hopefully you're using SOAP on a daily basis anyways. And this will give you an opportunity to do it for your mind. So how to feed your mind. SOAP, S-O-A-P, starts with S. S equals scripture. It's simply this. Make a commitment to read the scripture on a regular basis. Make a commitment to read the scriptures on a regular basis. Now, I would recommend seeing if you can read it every day. Not a mechanical, kind of check-the-box kind of a way. Uh, I have a coach who um, has kind of famous for this phrase. He says, it's not about, it's about the fruit, it's not about the watering schedule. Okay? It's about the fruit, it's not about the watering schedule. So don't, don't worry if you're like, oh man, I missed a day. Oh, God's watching. He's like, shame, shame. It's not about that. But consistency, on, on, a, on a consistent, regular basis, because... That's what allows me to grow fruit in my life, whatever it takes to renew your mind. Ironically, do you know the number one reason that people have for not reading the Bible? They don't have time. The number one reason that people cite for not reading the Bible is they simply don't have time. Lack of time was cited four times more often than any other reason for not reading the scriptures. Now, a big part of what we're doing during this series is we're actually saying, God, I'm I'm going to give something up during this season. And instead, I'm going to empty myself of something so that you can fill me. A goal of this season of Lent is to, this spring cleaning of the soul is to say, look, God, I'm going to intentionally carve out some time. I'm going to, I'm going to empty myself of something else so that I have the time to be filled. So this is a perfect time for this. This is a perfect time for us to do that. Did you know a recent survey found that average Americans spend almost six hours a day on video? Of course, that's nobody from this church. I'm just saying, for the average American, TV is a huge part of their life. Not only do we watch, now we have this whole new uh, verb that's a part of our culture called the binge watch, right? Uh, Man, I binge watched that. (laughs) And I mean, is there anything more shaming than when Netflix checks in on you to see if you're still alive? Like, are you still watching this? (laughs) Go outside, right? So the reality is you can make time to read the scriptures. You can do it first thing in the morning. You can do it last thing before you go to bed. You can make time for it after work and on the weekends. You can listen to it in your car on the way to work. You can listen to it on your car on the way home from work. You can read it with a fox. You can read it in a box. You can read it. So pick a time. Pick a time. Set some time aside. Uh, Something that you would normally do during the season. Set that aside empty so that God fill me. And, And then pick a translation. For some of you, you just decided, okay, I can't read it because you were reading a translation that was written in Shakespearean English and it's full of hitherto's and wherefore arts and you're just like, I don't understand this language. And it's so Shakespearean and you couldn't understand what you were reading. If you need a Bible, we have them here. Uh, A great translation. You can pick one up uh, for yourself anytime. It's our free gift to you. Pick a section, read a little bit each day. And here's the deal. You don't have to be heroic about this, okay? It's, It's not a race. You will not get a pizza party at the end of the semester. That's, I'm just telling you. But it will renew your mind as you learn to become more like Jesus. King David expressed it this way in, in the psalm. He said, Your word is like a lamp that guides my steps, a light that shows the path I should take. We learn how to follow Jesus by 
reading the scriptures and then applying those scriptures to our lives. And as we read words and ideas that are God-breathed, we start to better understand the life that God wants us to live and the person that God has created us to become. So we start with scripture and we just make a commitment that I'm going to read it. I'm going to read a little bit of it consistently on a regular basis. And then the O is for observation. Now here's what that means. Be curious about what you're reading. Be curious about it. Notice what you're reading. Uh, don't just like skim through it. We, we all have this. The, the, the human mind has this incredible capacity to uh, read and also think about something else entirely. Like mentally be somewhere else while you're reading. Have you ever done this? Uh, every, every one of us has experienced this where you're, you're reading and you get to the end of the page and you're like, I have no idea what was on that page because I was somewhere else in my mind even though my eyes were reading the words. And there's so many times when I'm reading something and I get to the end of the page and I go, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't read any of that. I got to go back and read because I have no idea what that page said. So be curious, notice, ask questions. Uh, don't just go on autopilot. The Bible is not something that is written only for, you know, uh, religious scholars. Any person can come to understand and be shaped by the scriptures by spending a little time and asking questions. Be curious about what it says. Paul told Timothy he was instructed in the scriptures from the time that he was a child. And as you read through the letter to Timothy, you learn uh, that uh, he learned the scriptures from his mother Eunice and from his grandmother Lois. And one of the things that uh, my wife and I want to pass on to our four kids is a, is a curiosity about the scriptures, a love for the scriptures. And, and in the scriptures, we learn about Jesus. The living and breathing word of God is Jesus. In fact, I love this, even in our, uh, for those of you that have been participating with us in the Lenten readings, in the unvarnished Jesus, uh, spoiler alert, today, in this morning's reading, they talk about Jesus is the living word of God. That the rest of scriptures, the idea of the rest of the scriptures is actually to point us to Jesus. That in Jesus, we find the fulfillment of the whole story. That Jesus is the living, breathing Word of God. And so by, by understanding and asking questions and observing the Scriptures, we actually come to better, more fully understand who Jesus is and how He wants us to live. And aren't you glad for all the people who volunteer here at this church week after week after week to help plant this seed of the love of the Scriptures in your own kids? I mean, we, we want this for our four kids, and I love the fact that right now I have kids in different parts of this church building that are in different rooms, and there are adults that are speaking truth into their life from the scriptures. I love that. That's absolutely incredible. By the way, we always have opportunities for people to step into those roles with kids and students. And maybe you're sitting here going, man, I didn't realize all that goes into that. I want you to know in all the other rooms all around this building, there are adults who are sitting with kids and they're walking through scriptures. Every single week that happens. Because we want to partner with you as parents to help, uh, help set the anchor of God's love deep in the heart of your kids from the time that they're young. So that as they grow old, they have a love, and a, a love for Jesus, but that they're curious about the scriptures that as they continue to renew their own minds with the scriptures, they grow. And so I want to encourage you, man, if you're like, how do I get involved around here? You know, I'd love to find a team to be on. Working with students and working with kids is a fantastic way for God to use you, for God's grace to flow through you into the lives of the next generation. And I'm telling you, we've got to make sure that the next generation that, and the generation after that, because, you know, as I'm getting older, the next generation is actually, there's another one coming, uh, is, man, we want to make sure that they have an appreciation and a love for Jesus 
that's rooted in the scriptures. And so if, if you're going, I would love to, I would love to get involved. It's, it's simple to get involved. Just write kids or students on the back of your connection card. We'd love to reach out to you and help you get plugged in. But it's important. So observation, as you're observing, don't just stop in the middle and chase down your, you know, an answer to your question. Just keep a pen handy and jot down some questions that you might have. All questions and doubts are welcome to God and welcome to our church. All questions, all doubts are welcome to God and they're welcome to our church. And they're actually an important part of being a disciple. They're an important part of being a follower of Jesus. You will want to study that more. You'll want to uh, ask a friend. You'll want to dig into it more, do some research. But as you read, observe, observe, and see if there's one thing that stands out to you, one thing that encourages you, one thing that challenges you, one thing that confuses you, uh, you know, one thing that just provides hope or helps you change the way that you think. Who is that author writing to? Why are they writing? Who is their audience? What was that original author trying to communicate to that original audience? And what does that mean for me for today? Hebrews chapter 4, the author writes this. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So as you honestly read and observe what you're reading, it's observing you. The Holy Spirit allows the words to come alive uh, to um, help you to think critically and honestly about what you're reading. And it helps you to realize where you need to change. And that brings us to the A in SOAP, which is application. Application. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we take what we're learning and we actually put it into practice in our lives. We say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to just let this be information. I actually have to move this towards application. Uh, uh, one of my favorite quotes, I've read it several times before, but I'm going to read it again because uh, I just love this quote from Mark Twain. He says, most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture which they cannot understand. The Scripture which troubles me the most is the Scripture I do understand. And isn't that the truth? I'm not so much bothered by the part I don't understand. It's the part that I do understand that I really don't really want to obey. If you're committed to being a follower of Jesus, at some point it requires action on your part, obedience to what it is you believe God is asking you to do. In his account of Jesus, Matthew records for us the longest and probably the most practical teaching ever recorded by Jesus. By, by someone listening to Jesus. It, it's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably the most famous uh, sermon that Jesus ever gave. And it's just called the Sermon on the Mount because he's on a mountainside. It encompasses how we're to behave towards others. It, it talks about uh, how to live with humility, how to trust God through difficulty, how to pray, how to handle our money, and to prioritize God's kingdom. And it's just Matthew's uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's just an, it's an incredible sermon. And Jesus covers so much ground in this message. And at the end of this sermon, Jesus tells this story to kind of wrap it all up. He, he tells a story about a man who built his house on a rock and then another man who built his house in the sand. And when the storms came, the man whose house was built on the rock, his house stood firm, but uh, the man who built his house in the sand, his house crashed. And the idea here is that the storm is going to come. It all depends on what you're building on. And Jesus was clear that the difference between these two the, the idea behind this story, he says, is not that one heard his teachings and the other one didn't. It's that both men in the story, both people in the story, heard the message of Jesus. And the one who built this house on the rock actually followed it. 
and the one who built his house on the sand didn't. They both heard the teachings of Jesus. One decided to obey and the other didn't. Only one of them actually put it into practice. It was hearing and doing that made all the difference in their life. In fact, years later, and perhaps maybe with this story still lingering in the back of his mind, James, the brother of Jesus, would write to followers of Jesus, and he would write this. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Think about that. If, if you read the scriptures, but then you don't actually apply it, you're really just tricking yourself into feeling spiritual without actually becoming more like Jesus. It's never what you believe that makes a difference. It's always what you do. And there are so many Christians who uh, know a lot about the Bible, but aren't actually putting it into practice. They're educated far beyond their level of obedience. You see, I believe if I spend time working on my marriage, it will I'll help me have a good marriage over the long haul. And I, I believe that if I spend time with my kids when they're younger, I'll gain influence in their life when they're older. And I believe that if I eat right and exercise, I can live a healthy life. But my believing does nothing for my marriage if I don't actually do it. My believing does nothing for my parenting if I don't actually do it. It does nothing for my uh, health if I don't actually do it. And that, that's why we say this all the time around here. If you can't use it on Monday, we won't say it on Sunday. Because the goal for us is not to give you a bunch of information that makes you feel spiritual so that you can go back and go, that was good. And nothing changes. The goal is application. How do I put this into practice in my life so that I become more like Jesus? James says, if you hear something and you don't apply it, then you're tricking yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself. We have turned a momentary feeling of uh, uh, spiritual awareness into a religious experience. So we hear talk about marriage and we go, ah, you know, I should really do that. And we walk home and nothing changes. And we hear, uh, you know, uh, talk about parenting and we go, hmm, that's good. You know, I really ought to do that. And then we walk out and we hear talk about generosity and we go, yes, that's good. I, I really ought to behave that way. We hear talk about forgiveness and we go, yep, I really ought to forgive that person. And then we walk out and nothing changes. And here's, here's what we do, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. This is just human nature. I feel closer to God because I became aware of something that he wants me to change. But I don't actually change it. And so I turn the awareness of what he wants me to do into a religious experience instead of actually becoming more like Jesus. And James continues, he says, if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. And isn't that what we do? In other words, you look in the mirror, you see reality, and then you leave the mirror and you convince yourself nothing really needs to change, but you keep going back to the mirror and you keep walking away and nothing changes. It's like going to the mirror and going, I really ought to shave. And you walk away and you come back the next day and you still have this thick shadow and you're like, boy, I really got to shave today. And you just keep doing that again and again. The primary purpose of the scriptures is not to provide information. That's where it begins, but it's to produce followers of the way of Jesus. Paul tells Timothy they are useful to equip us, to prepare us for every good work, not so that you can get an A on a Bible test. And the goal is that my mind is continually becoming renewed and reshaped so that everything that I think Everything that I desire and feel and want and perceive and understand, everything I naturally say and do comes out from one moment to the next, that it would honor God, that it would bless other people. See, Jesus did not teach 
to increase people's knowledge. He taught in order to change people's lives so that we would become more like him. And sometimes people confuse knowing the Bible with being spiritually mature. And there are a lot of people who can quote the Bible and know a lot of Bible verses. There are people who can quote the Bible 10 times better than you. And the question is, are they 10 times more loving? Are they actually becoming like Jesus or can they just quote a lot of Bible verses? And Jesus puts it so simple. Don't just listen, do what it says. Read the Bible, do what it says. And when Jesus would intervene in someone's life, he usually would give them one simple step, one kind of next right step at a time. He would always just give them one simple thing. He, he, he cleansed the leper, and then he said, now go and show yourself to the priest. He, would, uh, he healed a paralytic, and then he said, okay, now take up your mat and walk. He raised uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead, and then he said, now fix her something to eat. And there was always just this one simple next right step. And instead of this big life plan or some big mission statement, oftentimes he would just go, now, follow me. Okay, Jesus, but uh, I mean, what's the, we got to, I mean, you've changed my life. He's like, yep, just follow me. Just follow me. And not the next big thing, not the next dramatic thing, not the next big impressive thing, just the next right step. A simple next right step. And so as you Start with scripture, you make observations, and then you start to apply it. The question is, okay, based on what I've read, based on what I know, based on the questions I have, what is my next right step for today for me to follow Jesus? Maybe it's write somebody a note, give somebody a gift, start to become generous with what God's entrusted to you, serve someone, notice someone. Maybe it's relax, laugh, rest. Maybe it's to forgive someone, to be kind. Maybe it's to drive slower. Maybe it's to mention your relationship with God to a friend, even when it's scary. Maybe it's to invite someone to Easter. Maybe it's to join a serving team. Maybe it's to think about something good and beautiful and positive, or to give someone an unexpected compliment, or compare yourself less with other people. And then here's what's going to happen. Somewhere along the way, you're going to know your next right step, and then you're going to fail to take it. And when that happens, just take a deep breath and remember the scriptures that says that God's grace is sufficient for you. Confess and receive mercy and then go and do the next right step again. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. So we read about that in the scriptures and then we observe and then we apply and then the P is for pray. Pray. Since this is not merely a human book, reading it is not merely a human act. It is something I do uniquely with God. And as I'm reading, I'm just talk honestly with God about what I've read. God, here's what I'm reading. Here's what I think about that. I've got questions about this. I, I'm not sure. And I acknowledge that I can't, but that he can. And then I offer him my mind. God, take away my fears. Take away my anxieties. God, take away my worries. Take away the dishonesty and the greed and the, and the self-preoccupation and resentment and replace those things with confidence and hope and love. Help me to trust you. Help me to follow you. This is the prayer that we pray with our kids is help me to trust you and help me to follow you. That's a daily prayer. Help me to trust you. Help me to follow you. Who wouldn't want that? God, give me peace. Give me trust. Give me humility. And gradually, step by step along the way, I learn how to become more and more and more like Jesus. And as I learn about him, as I study his ways, as I study his followers, as I read their stories, as I read about what they wrote to followers of Jesus, those first followers and their writings becomes a part of the way that I think. And as I 
shift the way that I think. It starts to shape who I'm becoming. And as I do, I experience what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians when he says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. So if you want that kind of peace in your life, I want to encourage you, put soap into practice on your life. Not only as a practice of Lent, but also uh, use this Lenten season as a catalyst to create this as an ongoing practice in your life moving forward. This is a great time to say, God, I'm going to empty myself of some things so that I can be filled. And during this season, there's some things I can stop doing so that I can start this practice of scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And I want to encourage you with this. If you've never made the decision to be a follower of Jesus, you need to know you're invited. You need to know that regardless of your past, regardless of your sins, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your religious upbringing, regardless of who you were with last night, what you drank last night, what you said last night, what you did last night, or anything in your past, you were created by God for God to exist in loving community with God and others. And maybe you feel like your whole life has been a struggle to figure that out. But I'm telling you, the message of the scriptures, cover to cover, is that God is building a family and he wants you in it. And we discover that when we dive into these writings, these sacred writings, these God-breathed words. We learn God created you. God loves you. And there is nothing, nothing that keeps you out of his reach. He is pursuing you. He is constantly moving in your direction. And the question is just, will you respond to that invitation and say, God, I want to put my trust in you and I want to follow you. And if you've never done that before, there's no prerequisite. You're simply responding to an invitation from God. And if you'd like to say yes to that invitation, just agree with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you, and I thank you that you never walk away from me, that you constantly pursue me, you're constantly moving in my direction. And I wanna say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son, make me your daughter. Help me to trust you. Help me to trust that your way of living life is the best way, and then help me to respond with my life, to follow you and your way of living as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us. We have unbelievable access to these God-breathed writings. So may we take advantage of that. And may we be people who don't just lean on information, but who actually apply it to our lives so that we become more like Jesus. That we are people who reflect your love, your grace, your hope, your peace, your kingdom to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.